Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen and amen. As you return to your seat, greet a couple of people and say, I'm glad you're here tonight on a Wednesday. You may be seated. God bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What a great God we serve. Amen. He is wonderful. He is worthy. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. Thank you for praying for us while we were gone this weekend. And we are certainly glad to be home. do want you to remind you to be praying for our Bible quizzers tomorrow. The Kirkpatricks and the Carlsons are going to be heading to... Uh, and the Atkins, thank you. And the Atkins as well heading to Indianapolis. Be praying for them. Uh, so they've got a, a trip ahead of them. Uh, I think, was it last year we were fifth place overall at the Chase Marshall? So, yeah, so maybe we come home with a, you know, fourth or third or second or first this year. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But they're going to be praying for our quizzers as they travel and, of course, the families and parents uh, of those traveling as well. And uh, looking forward to that. We'll hear some good reports Sunday. Amen. God's going to do great things. Amen. If this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here, and we honor you and bless you. Let's give our guests a great big hand tonight. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in, and we hope you visit as well and uh, be a part of it in person. Praise the Lord. Uh, do want to mention that after the service uh, tonight, uh, if I could get some help from the men, we've got to clean out my wife's office. We're going to be laying that floor tomorrow. And so we've got to take everything out there so we can rip the carpet out. So if I could get a few men uh, to help, it wouldn't take us too long, but there are some items that we've got to take out of there. So thank you in advance for your help. Amen. Praise God. Well, at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our students and our children's ministries. God bless them. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, I enjoy getting away, seeing family, enjoy the privilege and honor to preach out occasionally, but there is no place like home. And I'm glad to be home and uh, here tonight with all of you and appreciate and love each one of you. Appreciate the good word that was preached here Sunday. Brother uh, Pastor Jeremy did a great job in our first word, Brother Mac in our worship service. We listened to both of those, watched them as we were coming home Sunday and enjoyed what God did. It's so grateful for the move of His Spirit. Amen? Praise the Lord. I'm also looking forward to what's going to happen starting next month. Amen. And uh, excited for our three-month uh, change-up of how we are going to do Wednesdays. And again, there'll be the three groups Pastor Trevor mentioned. There'll also be the first steps. All of our children's and student ministries will still be functioning as normal, um, but... Uh, We'll have three different groups going on. So that's going to be exciting, uh, give you a chance to do some uh, learning in that aspect, but also asking questions. So it's going to be a great time. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to join me in the book of Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, and then we're going to turn over to Romans chapter 16 and read a couple verses there, and that'll lay the foundation for tonight's message as we conclude this two-month series on the fundamentals. Mark chapter 4, verse 10, And when he was alone, 
They that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, To you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to them that are outside, all things are done in parables. In Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27, the Bible says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And tonight I want to title this, The Mystery of the Kingdom. Let's pray together in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. Thank you for the privilege to know you and your word. I pray now that you would make my tongue the pen of a ready writer writing your words upon our heart and confirming it with signs following. We want a demonstration of your spirit, not enticing words of man's wisdom. So let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh. And we pray it and believe it in Jesus' name. And would you say amen? amen. Some may wonder why I've included this as the final lesson, a lesson about the kingdom as a part of the fundamentals. Is the kingdom essential, might be the question. Well, to answer that, allow me to share with you three different scriptures. Jesus explained in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 3 through verse 8, that you cannot see the kingdom or enter the kingdom without being born again of the water and the Spirit. To see the kingdom is to, to understand or perceive. To enter it is not just when He returns soon, uh, when he comes back at the last trump. However, it is to enter into it now, understanding your role in his kingdom on earth presently. So that also explains to us that the kingdom of God is both a present and a future reality. And so since the new birth is essential and fundamental, and it's essential to entering the kingdom of God and seeing it, then to me, that makes his kingdom essential and fundamental. The next scripture I'd like to share with you is in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, which instructs us to walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. This verse connects us to the fundamental teaching of holiness and the new birth, and it culminates when Jesus Christ will return. And so upon those principles that are fundamental, this would also make the kingdom then fundamental. The final scripture that I want to refer to is in the parable of the servants, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. In this parable, there are three servants mentioned. One receives five talents, the next receives two, and the last receives one. The first two do hard work. They invest what they have. They take what they have and they come back. And both of them have doubled. And the one with five now has ten to present to the Lord. The one with two now has four. The one with one, though, comes back and he has buried his talent, only bringing back that which God gave him in the first place. 
He, his talent is taken and given to the man with uh, ten now. And uh, because of his wicked slothfulness, uh, he is then cast into outer darkness. He is unprofitable to God, according to the parable, because he buried what God gave him. And upon that principle and foundation, we must act upon what God has given us and utilize what God has given us. Had all three servants done the same, had that one with just one talent doubled it and brought back two, the story would have ended differently. And so I believe the principle, and that's a kingdom parable, by the way, the principle is this. What God has given us, we must use it for the furtherance of His gospel. We must use what He's given us to share with others. We must testify what He's given us to others. Amen. We must bring heaven to earth. And so that's why we are including this as a fundamental principle. Another reason, and a really good one at that, as to why the kingdom is fundamental? Well, anybody know what the first message Jesus preached was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anybody know what the last message Jesus preached was? Read it in Acts chapter 1, about verse 6 or 7. He's, he's sharing with them about the kingdom of God. He bookmarks His ministry beginning and ending with the kingdom, and almost all, if not all of his parables, are about the kingdom. Many of them are explicit. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. Paul, Peter, James, John, and the writer of Hebrews all write about the kingdom of God in their epistles. Therefore, God's church must understand the mystery of the kingdom. Especially since Jesus said in Mark 4.11, unto you is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now I want to remind you that when the Bible uses the word mystery, we should not define that the way we do in English. It's not this mysterious thing that you won't know or only a few know. Uh, it's, it's not you know, mystic or anything of that nature. It actually means to be understood, to be known. That's why you see Paul saying such things as, behold, I show you or reveal to you the mystery. Paul also wrote and said, great is the mystery of godliness. And then, semicolon, God was manifested in flesh, etc. And so, in other words, it's a mystery. However, now we understand it. He even reveals in Romans that it was once kept secret, but now is open. Here's a way to understand that. The Old Testament is like this. You can see through the slats and see Christ concealed. The New Testament, it's open. You can see Christ revealed. Okay? And so we must understand the mystery of the kingdom. Well, let's just start with a simple. A kingdom is the domain of a king. King dumb. King's domain. Kingdom. It's just, it's just taking two words and really shortening, shortening it into one. This includes all the wealth, all the land, all the subjects under his rule, under his reign. Another word that would describe the kingdom is the word dominion. 
The king has dominion throughout his kingdom. All are subject to his authority. Let me give you an example. If the king makes a decree, let's just assume that we're under a monarchy like some of the ancient civilizations of our time. If king so-and-so makes a decree and he then dispatches, they didn't have internet, they didn't have uh, you know, radio and television, they didn't have satellite, they didn't have text messaging. So what they had to do was they had to hire uh, uh, people who were called heralds, and these heralds would take the message and give the decree in each town and village. The herald could only announce what the king had said. He could not change it. He could not alter it. If the king said ABC, he couldn't say BAC. Does that make sense? Well, that's a principle of God's kingdom today. God, the king, gave the message. I'm a herald. I cannot change it. I cannot twist it. I cannot pervert it. I have to deliver it the way the king wants it delivered. That's why we use our Bibles when we preach and teach. That's why the pastoral team doesn't use Sports Illustrated and Reader's Digest and other things when they're preaching. We use the Bible because it's the King's Word. Does that make sense? Okay. That's why we encourage you to bring your Bible and open it and follow along to make sure we're reading it right. Amen? Okay. So we're starting to understand a few things here. Well... Let's go back to the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, which, by the way, Eden means presence of God. Pastor Jeremy alluded to that and mentioned how that the, the, the bigger thing was they were not uh, away from the garden, but away from His presence, and, and that is so true. In the Garden of Eden, though, God gives Adam dominion. He tells him to subdue, tells him to multiply. These are governmental terms. These are kingdom words and terms. He gives him authority to be fruitful. He tells him to replenish the earth. And this extended, by the way, to Eve. You can see this in Genesis 1, 26-28. Each of these words describe God's intent for a kingdom. Now, sadly, Adam surrendered his right to these when he disobeyed and ate the fruit. By the way, if you ever feel bad for what you did, Adam had one command and messed up. I mean, <laughs> we got a whole lot to remember, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, sin is sin. I'm not trying to candy coat it. But the fact is, the guy had one rule to keep. And he didn't keep that one. But his disobedience brought about the separation from God, brought about the loss of that kingdom authority, which is why in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is called the last Adam. Because what the first Adam relinquished, the last Adam restored. Okay. So now... Through the church, God gives that dominion, that authority, that ability to subdue, etc., back 
to his church. You remember a couple weeks ago, the title was Multiplied Increase. He also gives us the ability to go forth and multiply. He wants his church to grow. He wants more people to hear. God is uh, 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 not slack concerning his promise, the Bible says. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. Okay. And so, God calls his church, uh, the Greek word is ecclesia. Now, this is an interesting word because it was first used uh, to describe what the Romans did. The Romans were a uh, colonial type of empire. They would go in, conquer a territory, but then they would set up uh, at colonies of Rome. Now, they would allow people to still practice. For example, the Jews could still practice their worship of Jehovah. That was allowed. They could have their temple. They could, as long as they paid taxes and, and it didn't interfere with Caesar and all that, they could do. So it was kind of a live and let live uh, sort of concept. They were in some form of bondage, but it wasn't uh, like the Egyptian bondage uh, where they had no rights or authority. And this is what the Romans would do. Okay. So what they would do is if they conquered this territory over here, let's just use this, the city of Omaha. They come and the Romans conquer Omaha Metro and now they rule this territory. They would bring in an ecclesia to completely bring in Roman philosophy, Roman ideas, the Latin language, the language of Rome, they would bring in Roman currency. They would be instructed to live like Romans, even though they weren't in Rome, in order to convert people to the Roman system. So when Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, every one of those Galilean fishermen, every one of those disciples and apostles would have realized, oh, he wants us to go in and completely influence the people that we're influencing for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, we're here in what we call church. But the building is not church. This service is not church. If you were to ask a first century believer, where do you go to church? They would look at you like, huh? What do you mean, where do I go to church? I am the church. And so their mindset was, we're the church everywhere. We take it everywhere with us. Now, they did meet daily for prayer. They did go to the temple. They did meet house to house. They eventually met in synagogues and buildings and so forth. But... It was a daily church concept. It wasn't this once on Sunday, once on Wednesday, and then that's it. For them, church was life. It was who they were. You didn't separate the two. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm only on page three of 23. Lord, help me. You know, Joshua held back the sun, right? Well, the Lord did, but Lord, if you could just, right now, 7.30 for the next two hours, and then 7.31, that'd be great. Whew. All right. God's church 
is to dictate the orders of the King of Kings. I'm a herald, as I mentioned earlier, as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but every one of us who are born again are heralds of the message of Jesus Christ. You may not be a preacher in the sense of standing behind this pulpit and and preaching the gospel to, to a group or at a meeting or other things, but you are a preacher of the gospel in that you have a testimony. This is where you were, this is what Jesus did, and now this is who you are. And you can share that testimony with other people, and God expects you to as His ecclesia. Therefore, the church doesn't move at the whim of culture. The church is to affect the culture. Does that make sense? All right. Hallelujah. (laughs) Yes, praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus spent the vast majority, if not all, of his earthly ministry preaching and teaching about his kingdom. Therefore, it is eternally essential that we become kingdom-minded. So we, we had the garden. We understood that. I mentioned that. Let's jump ahead now to the book of Exodus, where we find uh, Israel has come out, God has brought them out uh, of the wilderness, uh, or out of, excuse me, out of uh, Egypt. Uh, He has overwhelmed their enemies. He has plundered the Egyptians. They now are, are able to go forward and become His holy nation. And God's intent for them, you can read this in Exodus 19, verse 6, is to become a kingdom of priests. Now, how many of you know that there are priests in Judaism of the Levites, right? The Levitical priesthood, right? So one tribe of the 12 are actually priests. But did you know God's original intent, according to Exodus 19.6, was that all of them would be priests? He, in fact, Exodus 19.6, if you read that along with 1 Peter 2.9, you'll see a lot of similarities. He calls them the purchased possession. That's what peculiar people mean in 1, Timothy, or 1 Peter 2.9. He says royal, a kingdom of priests. Here he calls it royal priesthood. He calls them a holy nation. Peter calls them a holy nation. So here's what happens. They don't want that. They're afraid. They, they don't go up the mountain. They say, Moses, you go hear from God first and come back. And I read a, a, a I think it was, um, I think it was Moffat's translation, had a little blurb in their study Bible that said this, what Israel lost at Mount Sinai through Christ at Mount Calvary, the church regained because of 1 Peter 2. Because now we are called a kingdom of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. 1 Peter 2, 9, right? And so God's intent was for them to be a, a kingdom of priests, but it didn't happen. God's intent for the church is to be a royal priesthood. It better happen. Amen? That's right. It is happening. The Bible calls the church the Israel of God in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. So the Israel of God, because of Mount Calvary, is to be a kingdom of priests. God expects born-again believers to be His ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5 calls us ambassadors for Christ. That's a governmental term. If tonight 
President Biden called me and my phone said Washington, D.C. And I answered it. Hello, please hold for the president. And I answered and it was the president. And he said to me, I need you to be uh, my ambassador to Mexico, for example. Right. And I agreed. I said, "Okay." And I resign and I go and I become the ambassador. I'm going to be told something to this effect. That when I go to Mexico and to the embassy, when I meet with any of their governmental officials or people or persons or whomever, that I represent the United States of America and the office of the President of the United States. And that, if anything happens against me, somebody throws a tomato at me, somebody flips me off, somebody cusses at me, somebody, uh, you know, whatever, uh, burns me in effigy, I am not to take it personal because it's not about me, it's about who I represent. Oh, I know it's Wednesday and I'm supposed to teach, but I'm feeling a little bit of preach right now. Whenever the enemy comes against you, whenever he says things against you, it's not about you personally. It's about Jesus Christ, who you represent. You are an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you go to your office, your job, your school, your home, amen, the grocery store, you represent the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And the spirit world sees it. The spirit world knows it. Amen. So we are ambassadors. We are kingdom priests. Amen. And our job is to expand the kingdom of God. Let me also say it this way. We should not be castle-minded. We should be kingdom-minded. A castle has dimensions. A castle has boundaries. A kingdom is limitless. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Now, I mentioned earlier that the kingdom of God is both a present and a future reality. We see this throughout the parables. There is a coming element of the kingdom. When the last trumpet sounds, when Jesus returns, yes, we will enter into the everlasting kingdom of God. He will reign. The Bible says he'll rule with a rod of iron. There'll be a millennial reign where we will reign with him. So there is a coming element of it. But there's also a present element of it because Jesus one time was asked and he said, the kingdom of God is within you. That's present. That's now. And so we are to operate now. By the way, when you are born again and you receive the Holy Spirit... You receive the down payment of that change that will take place in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. What that means is you become eternal at that point. You, you be, that which is of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John chapter 3. You change allegiances. 2020 when they did the census. You know, citizenship. Other. I don't belong here. My citizenship, Philippians says, is in heaven. (laughs) I really am an alien. (laughs) I don't belong here. This world is not my home. So there is a present reality and a future reality. The Bible talks about how that we are fitly framed together, each believer doing its part. Ephesians, right? 
And as we each do our part, the building is, is framed together in love. That's a kingdom element. We are like the, the rooms, if you will, in God's house. We represent Jesus wherever we go. I heard somebody say the other day, there really are five Gospels, not just four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. Because we are to represent Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Abraham sought for this kingdom. The heroes of the faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 sought for the kingdom. They, they considered themselves sojourners on this earth, pilgrims seeking for a, uh, the city, quote unquote, whose builder and maker is of God. That's the kingdom. They were looking for the church. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12 as well and 13. Amen. Now, pause here for a minute, and I want to go back to the garden because a curse happened as a result of Adam's sin. And he lost dominion, and here's what happened as a result. I want you to, to as much as you can, grasp this with me. Prior to disobedience, there's no fear, there's no guilt, there's no shame. There's no sin. It is a perfect utopia. I promise in the garden, they probably didn't have 80 on a Monday and negative 10 on a Wednesday. Wow. 4 p.m. on Monday, it was 80 degrees. Set a record. First time in the history of Omaha in February. <clears throat> Wednesday, this morning, 4 a.m., negative 10. That's a 90-degree difference. That wouldn't have happened in the garden. It's perfect. It was... It, there, I, I know it's hard because we have guilt, we have shame, we have fear, we have bills. We have a, none of that existed. It was perfect. And yet with one sin... All of that was unleashed. Pandora's box was opened. Disease came. Chaos came. Confusion came. But Jesus Christ comes and He restores authority. And the Bible says His perfect love casts out fear. Oh, hallelujah. Torment had to leave because God's perfect love personified was here. He restored kingdom authority. And now the church can bring His love, which brings His healing and deliverance. We can bring His Word, which the Bible says He sent forth His Word and healed them. We can operate as kingdom priests and ambassadors, praying in His name, believing in His name, 
preaching and teaching, testifying in His name, and expect that He will confirm His Word with signs following. Amen? I want you to understand that. I know we do the prayer on Wednesdays and we have people come and we do it on Sunday and we'll continue to do that because the Bible says call for the elders of the church to pray. But I want to let you know you can pray for people too. If you've got a coworker or a neighbor that says, I'm sick or I have a need, pause and say, can I pray with you right now? I believe Jesus can touch you right now. Amen. And pray with them where you are in a break room, uh, uh, in aisle seven at High V, wherever you might be, and ask God to minister to them. And He will. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus came with one message. His mandate was singular. His mission was streamlined. To restore and return His kingdom to earth. You see, when Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel saw into heaven, they saw a throne and one upon it. The king of kings had created Adam. That means Adam was a prince. That's why we're royal priests. They are not the sons of God unless they have the Spirit of God, right? So we are now also royal individuals. And the King of Kings gave Adam dominion to colonize the earth, and he's done the same thing for us today with his church. We can see God bring emotional healing, physical and spiritual healing. We can see deliverance from evil spirits and the reclamation of dominion over the domain of the earth, not just religious practices. Listen, I said this a few weeks ago. There is a a doctrine out there that says that sort of stuff ended with the book of Acts, and it was only for the first century, but that's a false doctrine because I've seen it myself. I've seen the dead come to life again. I've seen the lame get up and leap. Amen. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen God heal people of cancer. Come on, I've witnessed it myself. I've seen it with these. You've come too late to tell me God can't do a miracle. Amen. And as His perfect love is complete in me, and I share it with others, it casts out fear. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You see, and I'm careful to say this and and bear with me as I say this, religion focuses on heaven. We'll get there eventually, we'll have power eventually, but a kingdom of God focuses on earth and not waiting till we get there, but bringing that here. Religion constantly keeps you reaching up to God for something that you, you want to receive, whereas God's kingdom came to man, i.e. God was manifested in the flesh, and now His kingdom is through the church. Religion wants you to escape earth, but God's kingdom wants you to evangelize the earth. Religion seeks to take earth to heaven, but the kingdom of God brings heaven to earth. Amen. Praise God. You know, Jesus taught His disciples how to pray and by virtue taught us because we are His disciples. 
And one part of his prayer, Matthew 6.10 says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Watch this. On earth as it is in heaven. If you go downstairs, you'll see in our student ministries area, they've put up a little thing that says, in Omaha, as it is in heaven. Amen. In my home, as it is in heaven. In Papillion, as it is in heaven. In Blair, as it is in heaven. In La Vista, amen. In Ralston, in Gretna. Amen. In Bellevue. Come on. As it is in Council Bluffs, in Nebraska, in Iowa, in the world, as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. The Bible, I alluded to this earlier, mentions that we're citizens of heaven awaiting Jesus' return. And what this means is that we are born again with God's everlasting and abundant life awaiting the day when He will change us in the moment and the twinkling of an eye. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to just take the rest of the time we have here tonight to look through some of the kingdom parables. We will not be able to get through all of them and even any of them. I'm going to literally just skim the surface. Um, A few years ago, I taught a series on these parables and would teach an entire message on each parable. And so there's a lot to get through. There's no way we could do it in the next 13 minutes. However, I will do my best to run through a few of them to give you a way to then begin to keys, if you will, to understand yourself as you look at this. Secondly, I would pray this over you and you can pray this for yourself. God, open my understanding that I might comprehend the scripture. That's what Jesus did miraculously for his disciples prior to them receiving the Holy Spirit. Ask God to do that. Ask God to lead and guide you into all truth, which is what the Holy Spirit does. And as you read through these parables, think on them from their kingdom concept. Do me also this favor. Here's a major key you have to realize. Jesus used real life examples that would have made sense to his audience, farming, fishing, etc., and then drew a principle from that to his kingdom. Okay? Does that make sense? So when you look at that, you've got to think as a first century uh, uh, individual, an Eastern culture, not a Western mindset culture. All right. The first I want to look at is from Matthew 7, 24 and 27. And it's about the two builders. And the essence of this, the, the lesson in this is that you can choose between either digging deep and building on the rock, or you can be foolish and build on the sand. But to both homes, the storm will come. And those who have dug deep and built on the rock, their foundation is secure. Their home will remain. It might knock a shutter off or a shingle off, but their house will remain standing. Whereas that person who built on the sand, the flood will wash it away. Well... Jesus is the rock. So dig deep into his word. I read a thing today that said uh, you will die of starvation if you 
swallow your food without chewing it. Event, it, it you won't get the, the nutrients you need. It will eventually kill you. Well, the same is true with this. If all you're doing is just swallowing it whole without chewing it, i.e. applying it, you'll die spiritually. So dig deep. That's what that principle is talking about. Think about that digging deep. You're, you're building for the future. We live in such a fast-paced society today. I mean, everything is drive through this. I, I said this a few months back, but I remember one time I saw a drive through mortuary. Like, you're kidding me. You don't have an hour of your time to walk into a funeral home and sit there and, and pay your respects to the dead. You've got to drive through. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm sorry, passed. Okay, vroom, drive on. Wow, you are busy. That's nuts. But, I mean, seriously, think about it. We can drive through everything today. And COVID really exacerbated, we, can, we don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore. We can just sit at home and order it, deliver, and it's there. Wow. Well, if we apply that mindset to God, you see, God's more like mom's crock pot. Boy, I'll tell you what, man. Mom would put some stuff in on Sunday morning. I'd, I'd wake up smelling some stuff in the kitchen, and that would simmer all day. And when we would come home for Sunday lunch, oh, dear Lord, have mercy. Mmm. Let me tell you what. That beats a 59, well, it was 59 cents then, but 4.59 now, hamburger at McDonald's. Right? I don't want to fast food God. I want to sit down and enjoy the meal. When I sit down, I want to put the distractions away. Uh, okay, okay. That's what that parable is all about. Okay, let's, let's move on. Luke 8, verses 5 through 8 is another one. Here is the, the parable of the sword. Now, Mark, Matthew, and Luke all record this parable. I've chosen to use Luke's uh, to, to reference, but... Uh, God and his kingdom ambassadors are the sowers, okay? In this parable, you have the sower, the seed, and the soil. There is nothing wrong with the sower because God is the implied sower and or through his church he's sowing. Uh, the seed is the word. There's nothing wrong with the seed. So we can then determine that this parable is about the soil, okay? What you have to understand is that the way the land would be laid out, there would always be a footpath that you could walk in between um, your land and someone else's or your uh, garden and someone else's and there would be a trail and you got to get to the, all, the whole garden. Around all the edges, you would take the rocks out because you can't plant on rocks. You got to take the rocks out, right? And you'd put the rocks and you would pile them up. And there would be thorn bushes as well. This would help to, to serve as a deterrent against uh, rodents and other animals that might get in, right? It would become a natural fence. Well, they would... Sow in what's called the broadcast method. They would, if you ever see the sower on top of the Lincoln Capitol, you kind of get the idea. They would reach into a bag and they would go like this as they sow. It's the broadcast method. That's what we need to do with the Bible. Just sow it everywhere we go. Talk about it everywhere we go. But there's another principle there. Well, inevitably, some of that seed would land on the path. Some of it would land on the rocks. Some of it would land among thorns. Most of it would land among the good soil. There would be no farmer out there deliberately going out into the path and going, here we go, I'm going to put it on the path. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do nothing. There would be no farmer that would walk to the rocks and say, okay, let's see if these grow, or to the thorn bushes. So 
the seed that landed there landed kind of on accident because of the, the broadcast method. But the principle of this parable is that you can choose what kind of soil you'll be. Another kingdom principle we need to understand about this is you might be broadcasting that and someone you're talking to might choose to be like the path. And, and it may hurt because you've invested time. You've taught a Bible study. You've reached out to them. But Jesus gave us a principle, and it, it sounds cruel, but it's not. He said, if you go somewhere and they don't receive you, they reject, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next. In other words, the gospel's got to be spread to everybody. And if somebody wants to choose to be the path or the rocks or the thorns and not the good soil, the seed's there. They have a choice. They can change. They haven't died yet. The trumpet hasn't sounded yet. They've got a chance to repent. But go tell somebody that hasn't heard it yet. So we can learn from this parable what kind of person to be. In Matthew 13, 24 through 30, we see a parable about the wheat and weeds. Uh, King James says wheat and tares. So in this parable, uh, after the farmer has sown, at night when he's asleep, uh, an enemy comes in and sows tares among the wheat. Now here's what's interesting if you understand uh, the time and all this. Wheat and weeds, these tares, it, it, it grows up together. It looks like wheat. You don't know it until it's harvest time. The way you know is that at harvest time, the wheat develops a head and the weeds don't. So you can tell which is wheat and which is weed based upon its head. I'm not trying to bore you. I'm trying to give you a principle here because the, the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. And at harvest time when he returns, if he's your head, how does that parable end? Because the, the servants want to go, hey, let us cut down the weeds. He goes, no, you leave them. I'll send my angels at harvest time and I'll harvest the weed and put it in my barn and I'll take the weed and put it in a pile and burn it. So it, it's a kingdom parable about who is, is Christ really your head? And at harvest time, i.e. the coming of the Lord, it'll be revealed. So I hope you're starting to understand some of how you can develop these. And by the way, a lot of this, yes, it all takes prayer. It all takes fasting. You know, I get that. But blueletterbible.org, um, um, biblegateway.com, there's a number of places you can go and find uh, information that's good and wholesome and accurate that that's, doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. Um, and so biblehub.org. Uh, org is another one, I believe, or .com is another one where you can look at a concordance and you can look up uh, the Greek or Hebrew definitions and, and dig into. One recommendation I would say is if you're going to look at a commentary, be careful because a commentary is just that. It's a person commenting on the scripture. And so, uh, you know, uh, at times you'll see where two different commentaries will say two different things. Well, it's because of their lens that they're looking through. So be cautious with that. But you can look up places where you can see what a word means and understand. You can see, well, oh, oh, wheat and weeds. Oh, okay. The wheat have heads and, and the weeds don't. And so you can understand these principles. Um, 
I got two minutes. I'm going to share one more. Luke 13, verses 18 and 19 is about the mustard seed. We've heard a lot about this when people have preached it. I've seen the mustard seeds. They're very, very, very small. But what a mustard seed does, and this is interesting, and I saw this when I was in Israel, is if you plant mustard in a field, it will overtake that field. And it'll be all mustard. And that's the principle of this, because he said this, this tree would grow and all the birds of the air would flock to it. God wants his kingdom to grow and overtake. All right. We don't have time for any more. Let's stand together. I'm telling you what, I, I'm, I'm going to have to either shorten my notes or we're going to have longer services. <laughs> you know what? That's a good idea. Listen faster. There we go. If you can listen faster and I can talk faster, then we might get through this. <laughs> Amen. I want to be a kingdom ambassador for God. I want to do what he's called me to do, and I can because he's made it possible. And just like I can be holy because he is holy, I can be a kingdom ambassador because he said so. Amen? I might be introverted, I might be extroverted. None of that matters. What matters is I'm a new creature in Christ. I can share my testimony with someone else. Praise God. Let's pray together. Jesus. Thank you so much for this opportunity to know your word, God, to understand it. I pray tonight that you would open our understanding, that we might comprehend the scripture, that we might grow together, and that we might fulfill your kingdom purpose in the earth today, bringing heaven to earth in Jesus' name. God bless you. If I could have a couple men help me with my wife's office, I would appreciate it. Thank you so very much.